Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, then all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for July 5th, 2020. Koyo Kubose here, so very, very glad you joined us on this holiday weekend. And I was reminded of uh, something, an idea I had some years ago. And, uh, you know, whenever we have a, a national holiday, uh why don't we why don't we combine it with uh Buddhist teachings and have kind of a a family ritual of American Buddhist holidays um, cuz every holiday has some kind of theme and of course for July 4th is uh independence huh? freedom and I think every theme can be related to some kind of a dharma teaching it could, it might, it, um, could require a little bit of creative investment there, but uh, I think it's a—it's just a natural, beautiful combination, because especially for families, okay? Because uh, let's say you have family. Uh, there's a family, a couple kids. Holidays have a built-in excitement and focus. It's built in. It's in our you know, society and our culture. So, like, let's take, for example, July 4th. Okay. Hey, you know, there's excitement in the air. It's a holiday. And then if a family says, yeah, they jump on and they demonstrate for the kids how to have this idea of always associating holidays with the Dharma. And uh, you, a family could devise um, some kind of a, a ritual, or uh, you know, um, or they could they could vary it from year to year. Okay? Doesn't matter. Uh, but a lot of times, if you have the if you if you uh, stumble upon some kind of a nice ritual, and maybe the kids could get in on this too in terms of brainstorming. Well, how, do, how are we going to, what kind of teaching are we, do we want to have this uh, focused on for independence? Now, I, 
I ask you, listener, listeners, um, let's say for Fourth of July, in addition to our country's independence and establishment, how might you customize a teaching for for Dharma teaching for yourself, for your family? Well, independence from ego self, a little bit of freedom from excessive self-centeredness, freedom, hey, freedom, freedom's a good word because freedom to, freedom to be open to being able to creatively custom tailor teachings for oneself. And I didn't realize, but some, a lot of people, very devout people especially, kind of restrict themselves within their own religion. They don't have freedom within their own religion. They say, oh, you got to do it this way. Or someone says, hey, how about this? Then someone might, they might say, oh, look at another temple member and say, is that allowed? Things like this. Okay. And so independence from dogmatic teachings, dogmatic rituals. It has to be this way. Should, ought to, must. Whatever a a truth seeker needs, okay, on that particular time in their life, hey, make the holiday fit. Okay? And then use your creativity to experiment with different uh, rituals, you know, not just the teaching itself in terms of the conceptual aspect of it, but what might you do? What kind of rituals in terms of doing? Okay. So, well, how can we uh, act out independence from excessive self-centeredness? Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I never, you know, it's wide open. What kind of a gosh show might you do? What kind of a go outside, look at the, look at the big blue sky. Hey, there's all kind of space here. Okay. Free to go. Your mind can soar. Your ideals can soar. Your goals can soar into the big blue sky. Okay. And and I think it's neat if it carries over and every year you say, hey, yeah, I got, our family has a 4th of July independence ritual. Okay. We gather for, because usually on these holidays, extended family gathers together. And if they're all on board, ooh, that's powerful influence on a family and the, and the children in a family. They grew up like this. Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> write a book on that. Okay. Well, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Ginny Gallo. She was part of our LM10 group, and she lives in Pennsylvania, and she's calling in live. So, Ginny Gallo, it's all yours. Oh, just a minute. Just a minute. I'm sorry. I've got to unmute you. Okay. 
Now you're on. You're on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, from uh, hot and humid Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's 94 and 52% humid. So I hope it's a little cooler where you all are. Now, I just had a, a glimpse at the calendar before uh, before thinking about what I was going to talk about today. And the day after, it's July 5th, the day after July 4th, 2020, and our special day of remembering an American independence. I was born in Philadelphia, and I grew up nearby. I often visited Independence Hall where the Declaration of Independence was signed. I love to go down there. I actually touched the Liberty Bell when you were still able to do that. Right now, now it's out of reach. They've got it roped off or chained off some way. I just looked at some pictures, and you sure can't touch it anymore. So I'm glad I got that. And I think about it, I don't know if even then you were supposed to touch it, but we could, and I did. Uh, but this July 4th, 2020, it's very, very different from past ones. It, it feels different, and it is different, not just because it is a different day, but the whole thing feels different. The events is, events is different as uh, COVID-19 and its limits on our freedom to move around and the horrors leading up to Black Lives Matter and the cry for declaring what really can now be called Interdependence Day. What a rousing story the struggle for American independence was. But while we we remember it, uh, we as individuals and as a nation need to recall or learn the other stories that were happening then, too. It's not just about the uh, midnight ride of Paul Revere, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, and signing the Declaration. There are lots and lots of other stories in there, too, ones that uh, we don't hear so much about, at least we haven't. The stories of people for whom independence wasn't a fact but a dream, or of those who uh, lived on the land and were to lose the independence they had. And these are all parts of our story as a nation that we need to know so we can change what needs to be changed to live up to the words liberty and justice for all. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, there's lots of pollen in the air, and I've got it right here, and I'm breathing it in. Uh, what's the reality of living in the world uh, live, excuse me, of living the word independence today in this July 4th, 2020. What uh, what does our independence revolution and evolution look like? And that's what that made me think it's July 5th today, the morning after. For many of us, it was a morning after celebration. And this July 5th, 2020 was also the morning after weeks of demonstrations, weeks of demonstrations. Today is the morning after when we face the uh, karmic linkage of past, present, and future. It's what today uh, today always is, the day after, the morning after. What will each of us do with the new insights these days of 2020 have made so very visible? Will our forward vision be 2020? And uh, what of our own personal what next? What is that to be? Our calendar is unmarked. The future is open. Close with a agata, a prayer poem for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How precious, it is, how precious it is to be able to breathe, to be alive, to be able to remember, to be able to act. Let us each remember 
in our own way, that which must never be forgotten. May each breath be of peace and compassion and be embraced by wisdom. May my breath and yours be carried around the world. May peace prevail throughout space and time. May it be so. May it be so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, boy. I... Poems are nice. Um, they go deeper than somehow just uh, a, you know, a description of words. I don't know if it's uh, if it's the rhythm or the, the structure. Um, <clears throat> and then for some reason I was uh, the opening line of the poem that was read was, you know, when you're grateful. Uh, grateful for this and for that and so forth. Uh, on great, the aspect of gratefulness. I had an interesting conversation with a friend once. Um, he didn't believe in grateful for this and that. He said he, that you have to teach young children to be grateful to so in other words, like for example, mealtime grace, said, you're not grateful for the food, you're grateful to the person who cooked the food. Now, I, I, I don't know what's, uh, what, what is necessarily correct or best about that preposition that comes after grateful. Okay. Uh, grateful to the, to the cook. And grateful for the food. Uh, well, why not both, of course. But um, uh, if one, per- if a person is uh, has is is a grateful person, this is this is a point I'm trying to make. Even though we do have grateful to, grateful for, and that kind of discussion, if a person is is a grateful person, he he could be grateful to anybody for anything, because the gratitude is actually in the person, him or herself. He's a grateful type of a person who's able to see all this, okay? rather than oh, I'm only grateful if. My wish came true. I'm only grateful if the the outcome was good. You know, there was a story in uh, Buddhist literature. I can't remember the title of the book, but it it was a story. I don't know if it's a true story. and It doesn't matter if it's a historical story or not. But there was a man in Japan in a village in uh, he had a Japanese name, but all the villagers called him Grateful um, Saichi or whatever his name was, Grateful Saichi, because he was always grateful, you know. And even when <laughs> uh, he got in, his leg got injured, and he, and he was so grateful. And his friend said. Hey, you just you just got injured. What are you grateful for? He says, "Oh, I'm grateful because it could have been a lot worse." Now, now you might 
you might uh, uh, groan a little bit at at that kind of an example, but I think there is some a point there, you know. Um, and of course, it could be uh, uh, stretched out of hand if you if you say, "Oh yeah, you know, you should be grateful even when you know all kind of bad things happen." Not necessarily, but it's also true in terms of person, place, and time that tragedies became uh, provided the opportunity for tremendous spiritual growth that would not have been possible without that hardship. So you're not grateful for the fact that it happened, but because of that event later on, he said, man, and that reminds me of a very classic story that in one of my father's books, uh, it's probably everyday suchness, I think, but, and this is based on a true story about a man uh, he lived in Hayward, California, and we visited him once uh, as a family. I must have been about eight or nine years old, okay? and uh, we went to visit uh, uh, this Dharma friend of my father, and he was blind. And I remember he, uh, as this story goes, this man was a community leader. He was very competent. Okay, and uh, uh, sometimes if you're very competent uh, community leader, your head gets a little big. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's almost inevitable to some extent. Okay, and in fact, uh, once his once his friend, regular friend, comes to visit him, he. And he sees his friend coming up the walk. And he says, ah, so-and-so's coming to visit me. I, I, got, I got a lot of things to do, you know, and everything, but I got to entertain him or something like that. And he bossed his wife around a lot, took her for granted. Okay, maybe he didn't boss her around too much, but he took her for granted for sure, you know. Uh, and he was so capable and everything. And, you know, uh, if a person's like that, well, then, of course, the the wife is – Naturally, you know, more subservient and so forth. Okay. But this was before he became blind. He was like that. And then he became blind. His whole life changed. Now he's dependent on other people. He appreciates what his wife did and could do for him. And then when his friends come to visit him, he goes, oh, man, he was so happy. Huh? And then the kicker here is, he knew that he was a changed person because of this. And so he would say, yeah, I wish sometimes I wish my friends would became blind. <laughs> well, maybe it's a little bit too much, but, you know, and what gives it extra punches, you know, this is, this is a person. This is a, one of my father's experiences, a true story, okay? And then, like I said, one time we were, he lived in Hayward, California, and we were in Chicago, and we made a trip to visit relatives out in the West Coast, and we visited his Dharma friend, this man, and he was mine. And I remember 
Uh, you know, I have an older brother, younger sister. See, me and my mate were nine years old. And uh, the man lined us up, see, three kids. And, and, and he's, so our parents introduced us to this man. And he, he wants to, he, he wants to know us. So he, he, we're all lined up and he touches our face. He says, oh, okay, I see. Oh, okay. And he say our name and he says, okay, I'm glad to meet you. And, you know, and I remember <laughs> kind of unusual introduction okay, to a blind person and he's feeling your face. Um, so... <laughs> I was thinking about that when I it get these memories got triggered off when I was thinking of you know gratefulness, grateful for another day, grateful to be able to breathe, man, you know we gotta cultivate that attitude, not the sentiment of being grateful when something good happens to us, huh uh, be like that man in the Grateful Saichi or whatever his name was. You know? What a... Uh, what a recipe for joy and happiness and contentment in life. I don't think you could have those kinds of qualities without a sense of gratefulness. Sense of grace. We receive these things that it's not our doing. It's not like we deserved it. You know? Almost the opposite. Holy mackerel. You know, receive all this. I didn't do anything to earn it. Okay? Not that we have to, you know, look on the look on the dark side of things like that. But sometimes it's it's an honest emotion. It's wow, all these you know, why am I the recipient of all this good fortune? Okay, and then even of course when it's misfortune, it becomes fortune in the spiritual sense. Okay? As one of the titles of one of my father's articles was Misfortune is Fortune. Black is white. Because okay? it depends on person, place, and time. Something that you thought was terrible experience at one time. Hey, it was because of that struggle. And of course, sometimes we 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 snidely and joke and say, "Oh, that's a character builder," you know, euphemism or something like that. But hey, let's uh, let's magnify, let's take advantage of these of these teachings, okay? Uh, and gratefulness is something that has that I don't think you could get to, to the bottom of. It's very deep. You could keep going. The dharma's all will never let you down, okay? You know, one time, I want to close with this. I'm thinking about uh, holidays, and uh, our family took a trip. I don't know if it was a day trip or a weekend trip or something, but it was, uh, you know, we we lived in uh, Chicago, and the uh, capital of Illinois is Springfield. Yeah, maybe a couple hours, two or three hours drive. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, but we were in Springfield on a family trip. And my parents, they really 
respected Abraham Lincoln. And I'm, <laughs> a lot of people do, okay? But, you know, they really thought he was a great man, great president, and so forth. And Lincoln's tomb is in Springfield. And so we visited his tomb. And again, I'm eight or nine years old. I got a younger sister, a little older brother. And uh, my parents respect and they wanted to honor Lincoln you know, at his tomb. It wasn't a crowded day. We were the only ones there. And uh, my father started Chana Sutra, which is, you know, just a normal Buddhist ritual in observance, huh? a short sutra. Start chant, chanting it. And I'm standing there kind of, I mean, we're in a public place. Okay? And I was feeling kind of, uh, you know, and I, another family was coming down the corridor, coming around the corner of a corridor. And I remember the father, you know, was in the lead and he saw us in front of Lincoln's tomb. My parents were chanting the sutra. Obviously, you know, he knew we were paying respects. And so he stopped and put out his arms and he kept his family back. I remember seeing that. And that, that, that impacted me. I said, you know, my parents' sincerity to do something like chanting in the public like this, which is kind of strange, you know, and for, for a kid like me, any kid, we, you know, you, you don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> Your parents do things that might be kind of a little embarrassing, you know, public. But then I saw this. Other family, whoa! They were showing a respect for this kind of expression of sincerity. Then all of a sudden, I was proud. I said, "Wow, you know, uh, And uh, come to think of it, uh, it's it's family experiences, childhood experiences like that that I think leave some kind of an impact on a child and I don't know how it might have influenced me in what kind of ways but I ought to uh, think about that more right now and how I might want to tap into that example of sincerity not so that I could copy or imitate uh, you know specific acts okay of sincerity and reverence and gratitude and so forth but uh does it go deep enough in me so that I would be able to do something equivalent like that? You know? That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.